so those are some of our kiddos. And to, he said to treat girls like princesses. It sounded like to not, but he did to treat them that way. <clears throat> um, this morning, I just want to first start and just, oh, Renee. <laughs> I just want to thank everyone that's here because, man, this ministry is such an unknown and, like, we didn't know what we were getting into. We didn't know. I thought I was going to have mommies living with me and babies and figuring out that life. And everyone has just came around and loved us and shown up every time we need something. Last week, I put out kind of an SOS email to all of you that I needed clothing and I needed food. And the entryway was just, wow. <laughs> it's just really awesome. Um as always, nothing on here was supposed to make me cry. Um, so I have, like, had this awesome opportunity to be up front and get to see all of this and see all these crazy relationships that have happened and what um, Rusty had said about the teenagers coming and just all of these different people that have been brought together through this house. It's so, so amazing um, for me to be able to see that and then to be able to share that with you. Um but I do want to be honest with you and tell you that each time I get up here and talk, it becomes harder for me because the stories of the kids, I want it to be their stories and their, like, the stories that happens with their families. And I hope that one day that they will be up here sharing, like, how much transformation and um, awesome things happened. And so I get the job of telling you about how it affected me, so I get to be more vulnerable up here. Um, and I think I was writing this, and I said it's kind of cliche, but... The biggest thing that um, God has taught me all of this is just, like, to have faith. Um, and I know in that movie or the video and I had said, like, there was no talking me out of it. I mean, there was no talking me out of it. And that whole process of giving up my um, apartment and my job and moving in here, and there was, like, very few bumps in that. And it was just so easy because I just let go. And I said, I trust you. Like, get us there. Let us figure this out. And... Um, and the days that I don't wake up and say that are the hardest days ever. Um, because some days there are kids that show up at like 7 a.m. And they are wanting breakfast and to hang out. And, um, yeah, if we have like sport entry fees, how are we going to pay for that? And all of these things, like all these physical needs that pop up. And, um, and just like loving people is really hard when there's a lot of kids that all want your attention and just want to... Um, fill Jesus's space and his love, and um, so I just get really overwhelmed very quickly, and then I have to just throw my hands up and say, Jesus, like, you know how to do this, like, just take over and love them the way that only you can, um, and those are my best days when I do that. That's when Jesus totally shows up, and that life is just wonderful at the guest house, and everyone um, just loves each other. Sorry. Um, and I'm also learning, and I'm a very slow learner in this, you can ask Bob, um, to ask people for help and to rely on others because I'm independent and I want to do it all and I can do it all, and, um, but I cannot do this all. <laughs> and Jesus continues to hit me over the head with that, like, this is not yours, this is mine, I'm just letting you be the person that gets to facilitate it. Um, and I think with that, like, definitely I've been hit with, I'm stealing others' um, joy, and they're be able to be able to, like, in get involved with this when I'm not asking for help. So I will be continuing to ask for help. Um, 
My nose is running. Um, can I have a Kleenex? I'm sorry. <laughs> so also, if you ever spend like five minutes with me, you're going to learn immediately, like, I love kids. I love trauma. I love poverty. I mean, I don't love those things, but that's like where I want to be, and I want to advocate and help and support that, and um, I just want to change things, and I'm really passionate about that, and then I get really overwhelmed (laughs) because all of those issues are so, so big, Um, and I just want to like really be honest with you this week, like with that email sent to you of like bringing a family in and just loving on them. Ooh, Jesus has stretched me so much in this week and like just totally I need him I need Jesus um and just seeing like all these stupid hoops that we had to jump through and um it's just so hard and it just breaks my heart I think that's the biggest thing like Jesus has totally broken my heart this week for this neighborhood all over again and the people that live here um, and it just makes me want to do more, and how do I get involved, and how can I help? But the reality is, like, none of today would have happened, or none of this week would have happened if we wouldn't have had the two years of friendship leading up to this, and gaining that trust and that relationship for them to invite me in, that life is really hard right now, and we have nowhere to go. Um, yeah, so I guess... What Bob was kind of saying earlier about, like, each week we highlight a ministry and we ask for um, financial support. Um, I just have to be honest with you, and I'm not worried about that. I know that you guys are going to show up and money is going to come because God has been so faithful and he has shown so much favor to this house and this ministry. Um, But I want to ask you for two things today. I just want to ask that you would please pray for us the house, the kids, the families, the volunteers that come, just the different situations that families are placed in and that people will come and meet them there. And the second thing, I want to ask you for your most valuable possession that you have, your precious possession, I guess, and that's your time. I ask that you please come and see and be with us the Sunday after church. Come up and have dinner, um, play some games, Most importantly, like, learn the kids' names. Teach them a skill that you have. They are so, they just want to learn. They want to be productive. Um, And then drive them home and introduce yourself to their family and tell them we're in this and we love you and we want to be a part of this. I just, like, I absolutely believe that God wants us in this neighborhood. You'll never talk me out of that. And I know that he wants healing and transformation to happen here, but I also know that from my experience, any time that I've healed or been transformed, it is a long, slow process. And you really need people to be in it with you. And you have to just feel loved by them. So I am asking you today, please, um, I'm just inviting you to come and see. And I just think that, um, you know, we try to show and tell Jesus to the kids. And I just think that they will show and tell Jesus to you, and it's just amazing to be able, be able to be in that story, so I ask that you come and take part in that today. Whew. So yes, that's all I have. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for just um, praying and being on this journey and loving us and um, 
yeah, just continuing to be here. So thank you so much. I do just want to thank you guys for just um, just being patient with us. Like Sam said, we didn't really go into this necessarily knowing what it was going to look like. We kind of thought we did. And then, you know, when you're walking alongside families in crisis, um, it's very hard to bring your plans and your structure to chaos and think that it's all just going to go smoothly. And so we've had to call audibles multiple times and... Um, really listen to the spirit and how he wants us to engage. And one of the things that she said um, that I think is so important, a couple things. One is that she needs your presence. The easier thing to do is to write a check, to drop off some clothes, even to bring a meal. And those are all things that are good things. The harder thing to do is to enter in and make yourself vulnerable. Um, and I think I've, I've learned over time as we've been in, engaged in this process is that um, I'm not so sure that, you know, the guest house is there to save the neighborhood as much as it is to save us, the church, from years of just inward focus, easy and comfortable Christianity that doesn't really demand a lot of us. And we need that place more than they need us. So... Thank you, Sam, for, uh, I, you know, I get to have the phone conversations with her during the week when all this stuff is going on, so I have definitely a, a more insight into, you know, just the pressures and the demands and the overwhelmingness of that. Um, you know, just one quick example of, of something that you could do, like our small group meets on Wednesdays, and so this week on Wednesday, she was down here doing Strengthening Families, and we just brought our small group over to her house and just cleaned her house, and then we were there when the kids were there just hanging out and playing with them and it didn't it wasn't that difficult um but it was definitely helpful and 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 she just felt like some people were in it with her and those are things that any of you guys can do throughout the week so um well i'm going to transition now into into my message and um i'm going to try to say this without sounding like a horrible person but i was actually kind of dreading talking about this topic today um, as I kind of looked ahead to what the themes were each week and saw that like love was week four, I was like, ah. I just was struggling, man, to figure out what am I going to say about that? Um, because I really dislike just saying cliche things, you know, and there's so many just cliche ways to talk about love at Christmas. And I mean, obviously, you know, Jesus came and he loves us and all that stuff, um, but I just wanted to say something fresh. So um, God, as he usually does, brought me back to uh, something that I read recently that, that really just kind of hit me um, and, and kind of stopped me in my tracks. And it's a quote from the book, The Broken Way, that I've referenced a lot lately. And, and here's what the author said. She said, a willingness to be inconvenienced is the ultimate proof of love. That is what dying to live means. You love as much as you are willing to be inconvenienced. Yes, the best investment of your life is to love exactly when it's most inconvenient. If I won't be inconvenienced, I can't know love. Could you just read that again? 
Let that soak in for a minute. When I read that a few weeks ago, I mean, it just, man, it just hit me. And mainly because I'm a really selfish person. And um, usually I have a plan in my head of how I want my life to go. And it usually revolves around my comfort in some way. And so when life or people interrupt my plan, I don't always respond as I should. And whether I respond out loud or not by huffing and puffing around or maybe pushing back on something, inside, I'm frustrated because I'm inconvenienced. And it shows in my attitude. And believe it or not, I can be Mr. Grumpy Pants. It's true. It's ugly to admit, but it is true. A willingness to be inconvenienced is the ultimate proof of love. Anybody can love people when it's easy, right? That's no great task. And you know, when you start thinking about the Christmas story, it's all one seemingly giant inconvenience for God. I'm always floored by God's willingness to come as a baby, to be completely dependent on these you know, young people to care for him, to be in diapers, to have to flee to Egypt and go on this big journey to grow up in this small, insignificant town, to work hard as a carpenter's son, and to do this all under the oppression of the Roman Empire. I mean, couldn't Jesus just have appeared as an adult, done his teaching, died on the cross, rose from the grave, all that stuff? The whole human experience seems incredibly inconvenient for God. So let me ask you, why was the human experience, all of it, important for Christ to live out? Why did he have to come the way he did? Yeah, Dave? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's saying in the Old Testament, you know, the way sins were forgiven were from the, the lambs that were, were killed and on people's sins, and that he came as kind of the final lamb, the kind of final sacrifice, and in order to fulfill that, he had to live the complete human experience. So, yeah, that's good. What else? Yeah, Justin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Warren, you just whispered that answer, didn't you? <laughs> 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 
scary when you start sharing a brain, isn't it? Yeah, so she just, he just said, he, she, she, whoever you want to give credit to. Yeah, that just makes him so much more relatable. I mean, he can relate to every part of, of human experience that we've had. Anything else? Those are good answers. Yeah, Phil? Yeah. So just loving the creative experience and, and creating himself in human form, right? So, yeah, it forced him to be humble. It forced him to be vulnerable. It forced him to be dependent. Um, but another thing I thought of was that Jesus' coming as a baby also allowed us humans to be a part of the story, too. You know, he had to have parents. He had to have siblings and, and aunts and uncles and friends and all of those things around him. They were all grafted into his story and were used by God to care for God. They had to be a part of raising him from a baby to a boy to a man. And that's a mind blower. But the inconvenience of his birth in formative years set the stage for humanity to be a very important part of the story of God, this ongoing story. You see, we're not just here to be saved. We're here to participate in this story of salvation for all the world with him. I'm sure you guys have learned this by now, especially if you've been around Wellspring for any amount of time at all. But being a follower of Christ is really inconvenient. It is. It would be much easier for us to do whatever we wanted with our time, talents, and resources. It would have been easier for us to all just stay in bed this morning, right? Watch TV, whatever. But Jesus didn't try to sugarcoat his demands. I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 9. It's page 944. Luke 9, in verse 57, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man, which in Matthew describes him as a teacher of the law, so this is a religious leader, said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So what is Jesus saying here? Basically, he's making it very clear to people that following him will not be convenient. Because Jesus was functionally homeless. And so he and his disciples, they, when they traveled around, they were, they were dependent on the goodwill of the people in the towns to provide for their sustenance. So he's saying to this religious leader, And to all of us who would call ourselves followers of this poor, homeless Savior, hey, folks, this is not going to be easy. You better count the cost of what it means to come after me. 
Jesus tries to warn us away from a romantic view of following him. Because he knows that our romanticism will wither when our commitment becomes inconvenient, when it collides with the full cost of discipleship. I read a a quote by Rick Warren this week that, that really put it well. He said this, Discipleship means we give up any thought that there will be bits and pieces of our lives that can remain unaffected by our relationship with Jesus. We can't say yes to Jesus and expect to hold on to a portion of our independence. He demands it all. We no longer have the choice to serve only when and where it is convenient for us. Do we see it that way? I'm not sure that's the way the gospel was presented to me. It's my first few years of following Christ. Man, it was all camps and concerts, right? Young life, college ministry, weekend retreats. I mean, it was a blast. Just one adventure after another. And it was all really pretty convenient. I was having a great time. (laughs) But I was, in my ignorance, ignoring most of the gospel. There wasn't a lot of discussion, even from people who were the mentors teaching me in those early days, about laying your life down, denying yourself, taking up your cross. There wasn't a lot of discussion about giving and, and loving and serving sacrificially And there was absolutely no mention, zero mention, of caring for the widows and the orphans and the vulnerable and those in need. That was a discussion I did not hear at all about the first 20 years of following Jesus. As I would learn later, almost all of those things are a great inconvenience. And it's like somebody had kind of taken an X-Acto knife And it cut out the parts of the Bible that were kind of the the cool parts, the fun parts, all the adventure, all these great promises of what being a Christian was going to mean for your life and how awesome it was going to be, and presented that to me as the story of being a Christ follower, but ignored the rest, anything that sounded like a demand, (laughs) which is why I think that there were so many half-hearted commitments Because honestly, when my friends grew up into adulthood and things in their life and following Christ kind of became inconvenient, I don't think they knew how to handle that. I don't think they were prepared for what to do with suffering and when your marriage falls apart or your kids don't go the way you thought they would or whatever the situation might be. Being a pastor certainly helped me be more aware of the inconvenient love that God calls us to. I love doing weddings and baptisms and baby dedications. And not primarily because they're pretty joyful experiences. I like doing them because you put them on a calendar way in advance, and I know exactly when they're going to be, and then I plan my life around those things. That's really why I like them. You want to know what's inconvenient? 
funerals, crisis counseling, right? Those things are schedule wreckers because I'm sitting in my office on Tuesday and I've got my week planned out. You know, Thursday, Friday, I'm going to study. I'm going to write my sermon. And somebody says, I need to do a funeral on Friday. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I'm at people's houses and I'm talking and I'm, you know, preparing that on top of getting my message ready. And um, inconvenient. <laughs> So I've had to learn to love people well when they're hurting, despite what it might do to my schedule or my plan for the week. And at the end of it all, Jesus, who came and endured the inconvenience of human flesh, suffered. He was falsely accused Abandoned by his closest friends, friends, excuse me, and unjustly sentenced to a brutal death so that we might live. No applause, no recognition, no uh, 20 people who matter article written about him in the paper, no thank you letter. And his call to us is to follow that example. See, there's nothing convenient about the birth narrative of Christ. It was not convenient for a teenage girl to say yes to God and allow herself to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit, whatever that meant, and to deal with the rumors that came along with not being married and being pregnant. It was not convenient for Joseph to say yes and stay committed to marrying Mary under those circumstances. It wasn't convenient to travel to Bethlehem nine months pregnant. It wasn't convenient to take your newborn and flee to Egypt where you didn't know anybody and you're on the run. It wasn't convenient to watch your son die on a cross. Just like it hasn't been convenient operating a guest house in a neighborhood where we're surrounded by people in desperate need sometimes. But love, like Christmas at its core, is inconvenient. So I want to leave you just with a couple questions today to ponder. One was, when was the last time following Jesus truly cost us something? Because if it hasn't, I'm not really sure that you're following him. Secondly, how much of our service to Jesus is based upon what is convenient for us and how much of it is based upon us doing what Jesus has told us to do? How much do we put up little fences and boundaries around, okay, I'll follow Jesus as long as it fits into these parameters. And sure, I'll give my 10% and I'll serve a little bit here and do that, but don't ask me to go outside of that box. That's, that's good right there. It's more than what most people are doing. Right? Let's leave those questions up there for a bit as I pray and close this. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, just for your example of inconvenient love. God, that you loved us enough and cared for us enough to 
to go through what you did so that we might live. And God, just as a, a selfish person who kind of wants life to go my way and according to my plan, it's, it's hard for me to be inconvenienced and do it with a cheerful spirit sometimes. But anything short of that, I'm not even really sure is love. Because <laughs> love at its core calls us out of what's easy for us, what's natural for us, and asks us to, to give, to deny ourselves. That's the true proof <laughs> of love, whether that's in marriage or parenting or whatever. So God, uh, just shine a light on those places where we're just not willing, that willing to be inconvenienced. Where we want just the, the great promises of all the good things that come from you, but we don't want to have to suffer or dive into the pain um, of the world and the hurts and problems of people's lives and what that demands on our time and schedule and emotions and all of those things. God, stretch us. Expand our capacity to do that. Give us a greater appreciation for how much you did that so that I might live. Lord, I'm so glad and benefit from your inconvenience on my part. How could I not be willing to be inconvenienced for others? So Lord, this week as we head into Christmas, and sometimes being around family and friends is a giant inconvenience, I just pray, God, that you would help us to just be more gracious, more patient, more sacrificial, more kind in the way that we live and operate and care for others around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close?